you can see, my discipleship efforts in Ryan's regard have not been all that successful, given his choice of hoodie, and I've known Leota for 20 plus years and have been unsuccessful in turning her from that grisly problem. (laughs) Yep, that's fine. There's still a God, still on the throne, etc., etc. I want to um, just take this opportunity to give a Kenny update. For those of you, uh, most of you know Kenny Mukisa. Um, I took his stuff over to him, his, the last of his stuff over to him, and saw Kenny on Saturday. I want to um, ask you if you would commit to a regular prayer for Kenny. His spirits are good. His kidneys are shot. Uh, he has a mysterious internal bleeding situation with which he's dealing uh, he's in dialysis for five hours every other day, and the day, his off days, he's recovering from the dialysis the previous day. He was, came down with some sort of an illness a couple weeks back, and his blood pressure spiked again, uh, meaning that he lost his vision all over again and is slowly recovering it. So Kenny has, has medical issues, and then on top of that, that dark cloud overhanging him continually is the Immigration and Naturalization Service. He has unknown standing as, as an immigrant. So put yourself best, best you can in, in Kenny's shoes. I mean, the orphan from Uganda, and here he is in the States. He's got a very loving uh, sponsor family with him there in Spokane. Uh, they're looking out for him, giving him a place to stay, making sure he gets to dialysis and back, advocating for him legally and all kinds of things. But please pray. They can't fix his kidneys. Only Jesus can fix his kidneys, and, and he can do that directly, or he can find someone who will donate a kidney or, or some other way of doing that. But um, I think I'll pray for Kenny right now. And then if, if before the Lord, if, if you would be impressed to pray for Kenny regularly, uh, that would be great. And would you also send him a text or an email or call him? Feel free to do that. Even if he's sitting there in dialysis watching his blood go in and out, um, he'll be happy to chat. Uh, he he's misses his friends. He misses his, his place here. Uh, so please call him. Don't, don't hesitate to do that. Even if it's a voicemail or send him a text or something, he, he would be greatly encouraged to hear from his friends. Okay, let's pray. Father, we bow here to lift up our friend and brother, Kenny. Difficult to identify totally with Kenny. He's got so many obstacles in front of him right now. Father, we anticipate you're going to remove them. And in doing that, you're going to look real good. And so so we pray that you would. We pray that you would find him healing through another kidney or regenerating the ones he has. Would you... Also, do something with INS in his regard. Uh, clear his way for a green card. Get him what he needs so that he can function and, and minister here in, in this country, which is the desire of his heart. So, Father, we lift our brother to you, and we thank you for the joy that he has brought to so many of our lives. Pray that would continue and that you would be a powerful encouragement to him even now. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 
Okay, I um, last semester started on this notion of biblical planning. What are you laughing at, Levi? Okay. Levi's just a happy guy. Um, and I realized not too far into that that it's going to be difficult probably to, to do the whole sequence in a limited number of chapels. And so uh, what we'll be doing then is probably once a month during the course of this semester we'll be up here pursuing um, this whole notion from Romans 15 of biblical planning. Now that being said, let me back up just a little bit uh, to get us situated. I remember years ago, Joel will remember, uh, the three brothers that his mom babysat. Mary watched these three brothers. And there was Zach and Ryan and Brett. Brett is the youngest, and he's got these two older brothers. And, and they weren't always really nice to one another, unlike the way I grew up, probably the way you grew up, but they weren't always nice to one another. I remember one time, Brett made a remark that to his five-year-old brain was profound, and accurate, forget the topic. One of his brothers looked at him with disdain and said, oh, Brett, you don't know squat. Brett looked up at him. And Brett, by the way, he kept his mother, kept his hair real short. I counted seven cowlicks on his head. This was Brett. Brett, you don't know squat. Brett didn't know quite what to say, but he came back with this one. This I consider a zinger. He said, I may not know squat, but I know some things. And uh, (laughs) that's not too bad for a five-year-old. A week ago today was the 13th of January, and it popped in my brain that that day marked exactly 40 years from my conversion experience. And I thought, 40 years. And it, a number of things you know, kind of go through your mind on an occasion like that. And, and primarily, at least as far as I'm concerned, overwhelming gratitude to the Lord. 40 years is, is a while. That's just the first 40, right? It's never, ever, ever going to end. And I am so astounded and humbled and grateful that the Lord would save me. Anybody else? I mean, that just is amazing. And I remember my Christian life, maybe kind of like other people's Christian lives, my first quest in the Christian life, because I was about the age of many of you, I I was in the Navy at the time, and one of the first things I figured I really needed to do was to get this Christian life thing nailed down. You know, to get pretty good at it, to get, to, to get it and, and to be a good Christian person. And so that's when I learned how to do all kinds of Christian things, like, um, you know, devotions and witnessing and going to church and saying just really in my prayers, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so I, I, I realized, though, over time, and it takes time, at least in, in my case it did, Life kind of catches up. 
And I've come to the point now, after all these years, I don't have the Christian life figured out. I, I just want to draw nearer to the Lord. That's all. That's it. Um, and he is inexhaustibly deep. The Bible, I can say this, the Bible has become more precious and more amazing to me as years have gone by. Somebody said a long time ago, are you out to master the word or to let the word master you? And I think that's an interesting question. And I know that in my experience, I've got to master this thing. I've got to get my theology and I've got to get my languages and I've got to, I've got to get this thing. I've got to get a handle on it. But it doesn't work that way either. There's an interesting irony to the Christian life, isn't there? And now I, I just want to sit under the Bible, not put the Bible under me. So, um, all that being said, my attention is drawn to what I would call a jumping off point in, in the book of James. Because regardless of whether you've been a Christian for, for four weeks or 40 years or, or, or been in glory, you know, whatever, we still got to go through this thing, this thing called life. We've still got to slog it out. Um, we still got to figure it out best we can. And so there's this, there are these little verses in the book of James that we love. We Christians just love these verses because in the verses is a promise from God that we cling to. And I've heard myself say that here's one always yes answer to prayer in James 1. Let's just look at it real quickly. Eventually, we'll get to Romans 15. Hopefully, we'll do that as early as today. Where, it's, uh, James says, um, any of you lacks wisdom? Don't you love that verse? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. How many of you have claimed this verse? Used it? Okay. I, mean, I think if we were honest, and most of you obviously are not honest yet today, yeah, but God, I need wisdom. I need wisdom. I've got a decision to make. Isn't that how we work it? I've got a decision to make. Therefore, I need wisdom. Therefore, I'm going to ask God, and He's going to, what? Pop the cap off my head and pour in the answer. What's He going to do? Make me slip on a banana peel, land with my, mat, uh, my nose on a map of South America, send me to the mission field. What's He going to do? <laughs> that happened to you, Knight, right? No, not yet. Um, what, is that how it works? Is it, I kind of don't think so. Would be handy if it did. Kind of like going into the confession booth, you know. Okay, Father, give me wisdom. Oh, here it is. Slides it under the door. Here's here, here's the decision for you. Doesn't quite work that way. There's more to it. You see, I think there are two problems with our limited use of this wisdom-asking concept. I think one of them is we don't understand particularly what wisdom is necessarily. And number two, we don't read the rest of the verses, which I would like to do at this point. Let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. It will be given to him. It's a slam dunk. Done deal. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. Oh, rats. Because, you know, I'm with the guy in the song, like in, in the scripture that Evan used today. I'm, I'm him. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's me. All the time, that's me. So how does this work? 
let him ask in faith without any doubting. Well, I thought I was going to get a yes answer, and now it looks like I may not. How do we do this? Well, we're not done reading, are we? Let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I wonder, how does this work? I, I want wisdom. I, I can only get it from God. But there's this doubt thing that plagues me because of the frailty of my flesh and the imperfection of my faith, I suppose. The Bible says here that, that God is always available to his own to provide wisdom. Now, if you want, we go into this wisdom thing fairly thoroughly in the biblical theology class. Some of you have had the class, so you just have to review in your mind. Uh, others of you will have to wait, so I don't want to get into that simply to say this. This wisdom that's being discussed here in James is way more than Christian decision-making. Way more. Oh, Lord, give me wisdom to pick the right dessert for the company that I'm having to come. It's nice to pray about that. But we're beyond that in this verse. This is much bigger, much bigger. What's the wisdom that's in view in this verse is the notion of wisdom being a tapping into the very person of God. He provides wisdom. You want a God-centered, God-oriented, God-exalting decision. That's more what it's about. You want to, uh, to connect with God at that level much bigger than, than, than the minutiae about which we normally pray. And he's always available to do that. The question here is, uh, who am I trusting? That's really the question. Let him ask in faith. I have learned to do this. I've taught myself to do this. That word faith, I'm not that comfortable with. Some of you are thinking, it shows. <laughs> no, no, I, because faith, and you may have to come from my background. I came from a background where faith makes things happen. Where, where God can be persuaded by my faith to do what I want Him to do. And so I've been to faith healings. I've been to some of these meetings where it almost looks like, dare I say it, it almost looks like I'm in the driver's seat. Which is fine on 19th. But not fine when it comes to telling God what to do. I think, I really think He knows better. So, so this faith thing, I'm not sure about that. The other word, and they're all three the same in Greek, you know, uh, is the word believe. I believe. <laughs> the word believe. But that, that word is a good word. Faith is a good word. But I tend away from them because the faith conjures up this me having a kind of a generator to make God perform. And believe leaves it all here. It can. I believe that. I believe that, and you know the, the verse in, in James, the demons believe and, and tremble. So I like the word trust. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I can do that. 
I can see myself doing that. I don't always do it like I should, but yeah, I can trust. You're trusting your chair right now, and that's all you got to do is sit in it. I think I can get trust. I think I can get that from a, the standpoint of a foundation for me. So if we look at the verse that way and just consider it a little bit differently, let him ask in trust, resting upon the sure foundation of the eternal character and truth of God, resting there, planted there. I believe that's what James is about. I think he's saying, if you want wisdom, if you want to tap into the mind of God, the way to do that is by putting all your trust in him. Said evangelistically, I put it this way, all my trust in Jesus only for this life and the next. Very simple uh, definition, if if you will, of, of faith or trust. What's a double-minded person? And this is, here's the problem. The double-minded person is that individual who tries to trust in more than one object at the same time. That's the double-minded person. Two minds. Os Guinness wrote a great book on, on, by that title, In Two Minds. It's, it's one, I think InterVarsity published it years ago. It's, it's that notion of, well, I, I'm going to trust Jesus and. Or I'm going to trust Jesus, but... And that opens the door, I would suggest, to double-mindedness. Now, being double-minded, that's what he develops this notion of what doubt is by, by going into the double-minded um, idea. It doesn't, mean I, it doesn't mean never having any questions. It doesn't mean this, this rock-ribbed, iron-clad, never-doubt never question, never waver. That's really not the idea here. It doesn't mean we'd never doubt or never experience setbacks. It simply means we put both our feet on the same place with the Lord rather than putting one in this world view and one in this one. And you know where that illustration goes, right? It it, it would be like a double-minded person is like the person who puts one foot on the dock and the other foot in the rowboat. How's that going to work? It's not going to work well at all. And the imagery that James gives us here in these verses, this business of driven and tossed like the surf of the sea being blown by the wind, this is a picture of chaos. This is a picture of a mess. This is disorder. This is confusion. This suggests serious loss. And that's why the double-minded person who just hasn't quite figured out whether he is she or she is a foot or horseback can't expect anything from the Lord. They're too busy trying to keep their plates spinning. Too busy trying to keep from going in the drink. Now, if we willfully put a foot in two different worldviews, we are double-minded at that point. And... James is saying, don't bother asking for wisdom. First, you need to make up your mind and not be double-minded, rather being single-minded. Now, here's our liability, and it is very real as far as my experience is concerned. The liability is this. The world and the flesh and the devil and sometimes the church will try to convince us that we can have both 
worlds. You can. You can, you can, you can put your foot here and you can put your, your, your foot there and it'll be okay. After all, this is America. We'll land on our feet. It'll be okay. You can have it all. James is saying, no, you really can't. And I have to wonder, as I consider James as an individual, you know who he was, right? He's Jesus' roommate as a kid. This is James's, or Jesus' half-brother. So he's growing up sharing a room with Jesus. Did you do that? I guarantee your roommate didn't do that, right? And so, and so Jesus makes his bed perfectly, picks up his stuff. Can you imagine a bed Jesus made? Wow. <laughs> but, but he's doing it right. And we don't know at what point in the domestic conversation Jesus began to say, yeah, you know what, this world isn't the only one. Yeah, you know what, I know where I'm really from. And what was he dialoguing with the with the uh, people in the temple there when he's 12. He knew his stuff. And we see, say, in the seventh chapter of John, we see the brothers of Jesus are still in the world. But if you're one of them, if your name is James, and the other one who got his name in the book is Jude, there had to be a time when they weighed their alternatives. Which way do I want to go? With the world? Or with Jesus, and we know which way they went. But there had to have been, and I'm wondering if he's thinking a little bit autobiographically here. Just wondering. Because sometimes we are enticed into double-mindedness. And there are statistics out there that discourage me having to do with churched kids. How many of you are churched kids? You kind of grew up that way. All right. High percentage crash and burn. Once reality, the reality of, of life in a fallen world kind of is available. And I wonder about that. I wonder if that could it be because we've sort of endorsed double-mindedness. Worldliness on the one hand. Yeah, it'll be okay. You can do this. But, but boy, be sure you go to church. Yeah, be sure you read your Bible. Yeah, be sure you hang around with the right people. And we can end up with feet in two different places. And so we go to the military, we go to college, we go off into a career. We can go into marriage, double-minded. And the wheels will come off. Sooner or later, oftentimes sooner. Double-mindedness, I think, is disguised for us. Um, disguised as tolerance. It's, it's, it's all okay. It's disguised as materialism. You can, all, you can have the better one. You can have the faster one. You can have the bigger one. You can have the more sophisticated one. You, we can have, and we're bombarded with this as Christians, certainly in this culture. I think it's disguised sometimes as cheap grace. Oh, just believe and receive. Just believe and receive. And then do what you want. Because after all, you're not under law. You're under grace. So just do what you want. And the Apostle Paul's going, Oy vey! May it never be, Romans 6. That's another sermon series. Um, it, it's disguised, I think, as individualism. Do you really believe your Christian life is all about you? A whole trick question. There's a sense in which it is. 
But there's a sense in which it isn't. And, and so we, we can cultivate this over-the-top, pietistic, just Jesus and me thing to a fault. Where we get introspective. And um, self-indulgent, certainly self-absorbed, but can have to do a station in life. Most of you are in this station of life. I don't mean to offend. Really, I don't. But for many years now, I have identified the ages 15 to, or excuse me, 18 to 20. It's getting higher every year. Uh, nine. I don't know. Into the 20s. I call them the stupid years. I just do because, and I've lived through, I have survived the stupid years. Well, maybe not completely. They're not completely gone. But there's this phase of life it seems like, well, hey, I'm young. I've got my energy. I've got my youth. I've got my opportunity. I got my dad's credit card. I'm going to live. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you see, we, we can end up, like, double-minded. And the consequences of the stupid years can last a lifetime. Why? And it's a result of double-mindedness. And so I think the first question is, and I'm going to assume, just to show you my benevolent side, I'm going to assume that, that you're all single-minded. Maybe that's not a fair assumption, but I, I'm, I'm going to give you, I think, honestly, you have, you're here, that tells me volumes about where you are with God. I'm sure there are those among us, who, well, I'm only here because Grandma paid my tuition, fine, bless Grandma, um, get single-minded, but for the most part, ah, I love working with Bible college students, because God has touched you, I think, uniquely. And it's a privilege, and I know I speak for the rest of us on the staff, it's a privilege to, to do what we do. So I'm going to give you that benefit of the doubt, and we'll move further on into, into the better stuff. Um, let's say you're single-minded. Now it's time to make some decisions. And that's why we come around to this whole notion of biblical planning, because I'm going to guess that 90-plus percent of the folks in this room are kind of wondering where you're going in life. Um, career-wise, re- relationally, uh, possibly educationally, hard to say, but school, college like this, is a transitional place to be where, where you're, you're preparing to do something somewhere else. What's it going to be? Well, well, very few probably know for sure. Some do. Most don't. And so I thought, okay, making a long story even longer. It's, it's a good thing to talk about biblical planning, and that's what we started to do last semester, and we'll pick it up again here. Um, let's go to Romans 15. Uh-oh, uh-oh, we're out of time. I took so much time doing the introduction that I don't have time to deliver the message. So, <laughs> that was a good thing that Tasha gave me one extra chapel for the semester so that we can cover it. I'm, I'm going to quit talking um, because are you aware what's for lunch? With beef stroganoff with mashed potatoes. I am a believer in the present millennial kingdom. LAUGHTER
with stroganoff and mashed potatoes, you cannot go. It doesn't get any better than that. So let's pray. Let's pray, and I invite you to um, return on the 26th of February. We actually will then talk about biblical planning unless something comes up that I'd really rather discuss. So let's, let's bow. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our all in all. He is everything. He is our wisdom, our sanctification, our power, our righteousness. He is our life. Father, move us always and ever nearer to him. And please use us, use each of us, to draw others to the cross and to the life of Christ as well. Thank you for this good time together with your people. In Jesus' name, amen.